Welcome to the Remarkable Relationship Show with Mercy Russell, where we find the wonder in your story. I will be your host for the next hour. I have over 35 years of experience applying the science of relationship systems to my practice of psychotherapy and leadership consulting. My intuitive skills allow me to bring clarity and vision to your challenges. I hope you will be surprised in the next hour. Good morning. This is Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationship Show. My goal is to bring a fresh perspective to you on all things related to how humans develop their individual brilliance while navigating the excitement, stickiness, and resistance in their relationships. In my 40 years of working as a psychotherapist and consultant, I have been continually amazed at the ways in which people overcome challenges. I hope to share my experience and insights today so you can find magic in your relationships. So the phone lines are open today. Uh, the, phone, the, uh, uh, the phone number is 888-298-5569. You are welcome to call in with any question you have regarding relationships, life transitions, and decisions, anything. I draw on my professional and personal experience as well as my intuitive gifts for what I hope will be a surprising insight for you. To start, I will be answering a range of questions I have received from listeners on two topics. Now, there are several ways that you can ask me a question. You can send me a question by email at mercy at leadershipwithmercy.com. My answers will be available during the live show, as well as on the KKNW podcasts and the KKNW YouTube channel. In addition, I post transcripts of the shows on my website, leadershipwithmercy.com. So please don't be shy about asking questions. I recognize that it can take courage to call into a radio show, especially about personal matters. However, I have rarely heard a unique dilemma. Your question will also help other people listening to the show. Plus, this allows me to know what interests you. I am interested in all corners of human behavior and relationships. So I need your help to know how I can address what troubles and intrigues you. So here, so again, the, the, the call-in number, you feel free to call in at any time, um, not to worry about interrupting but my um, question and answer segment here. The number is 888-298-5569. And I'll jump in here, Mercy, too. I'll, I'll help you out a little bit. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you're going to go on and proceed with your show today, and I'm here to help you out, too, Producer Benny. So I will flag those uh, calls for you as well. And also, you know, I know it is you said uh, earlier about, um, you know, people being a little bit shy coming out. We can always adjust names and change the, to protect Absolutely. the innocent, so to speak. So feel free to just call in and we'll work with it. And I'm here for you guys. All right. OK, thank cool. you, Benny. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so great. Thanks. Um, and I, uh, so today I have two questions. Um, that came to me that I that I wanted to you know share some thoughts about, and the first one is really about what I would call a, a life transition question. So it's about it's a it's a question from a college student 
Um, and as I think as I'll talk about, um, my thoughts about this could apply to other times in life when we're making a big transition and we're really not quite sure where we're going and how we're gonna get there. So here's the question I received. I'm a college sophomore. I came to college as an honor student in high school. <clears throat> I knew what I wanted to do and I had my family's support to follow them in a traditional career. I thought I was a science and math person. Now I spend all my time in the theater and I want to major in English. My mother wants me to go to nursing school so I can have a career that has security. My father just wants me to get a degree in four years so I can get a job. I'm so confused, what should I do? Dear sophomore, <clears throat> so I can certainly empathize with your parents. They want for you when I'm sure what you, well, I'm sure you want the same thing that they want for you. you. The ability to stand on your own two feet, to be able to support yourself and to feel secure. You want to be independent and they want that for you too. Your dilemma is twofold. You are in the process of exploring new parts of yourself. You're in a new environment with new friends and teachers. So as you go into the world, you'll continue to discover new interests and talents. You will find out the, your talents and you'll find out what does not work very well for you. Your, your brain is still developing. And this is the ideal time to experiment, to try as many different skills and to follow your curiosity. The fact that your brain is still develop, developing means it's plastic. Now the brain actually stays plastic all through our lives, you're contrary to popular opinion, but this is a particularly rich time. What you play with now will create pathways in your nervous system that you can tap into at any time in your adult life. How do you take advantage of this rich time while also cultivating your independence? So a good example for this is uh, I have just started as a senior citizen to learn to play golf and I never touched a golf club in my life. My family were tennis players. I was a skier. You can put me on a ski slope. I can pretty much get down anything with grace, right? But I'm looking at uh, it. There's still sticks and you're still swinging. So combine the two together and you got it. <laughs> so tennis oh, is, no. I'm just saying, just saying there's, there's hope. Yeah, there was no ball though. <laughs> <laughs> the snow, yeah, this is true. Well, snowballs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're right. Sticks. As long as they're on my feet. I'm I know good. <laughs> you got, I think there's hope. There's hope. Oh dear. So, um, at any rate, um, I, how many times on that golf course do I wish I had just played golf for six months or a year when I was younger, because I can tell with people who do, they've got that in their nervous system. And I think it's the same with anything, a musical instrument, dance, a language, anything you try will be there. And if you pick it up 25 years later, it'll be there. So this is a time to experiment. And it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's, I'm saying this as if it's easy to do because it isn't, because it's also a time when you're trying to be, become independent. 
And so it's not uncommon for young people to want to stick to that clear, secure path that their parents laid out for them um, and kind of start out in a rut and then break out later. But what I'm saying is neuroscience tells us that this is the time for you to experiment. It's natural to your nervous system. I'll, I'll be talking for the parents later. <laughs> so um, ha, your second challenge is to, so, okay, you've got this, okay, I'm telling you to go ahead, experiment, play, have fun but also to cultivate your independence, right? So that's an important piece of that we'll talk about soon. Your second challenge in this dilemma is managing your relationship with your parents. And this is part of establishing your independence. They feel responsible to guide you in the right direction. Um, and your exploration may bring an uncertainty in their own lives about how much you will depend on them. And so this is, I mean, I for parents, parents are used to guiding, being feeling responsible for, and making decisions for their children. And when the children reach this point, which in, often in our life has to do with going away, getting a job, joining the military, going to college, the parents haven't necessarily changed, adjusted yet, right? They're still thinking they've got to be the ones to guide you and to tell you what to do. It's I've been through this as a parent. It's a transition for a parent to start to let go. Nevertheless, they're going to have be they're going to have be uncertain, and because of that, they may put pressure on you, just because they they don't really know. And then you know what you they have their own experiences they're coming from too. So, and they may be relating to your experiences based on their life experiences. They either want you to do what worked for them or to do something they, could, they couldn't or didn't do, right? Do the opposite of what I did, did what I didn't do for myself. Um, I pushed my son to go spend time and, you know, overseas because I didn't do that in college. I don't think he regrets it, but, you know, <laughs> there was a, it was a little touch and go whether I was doing the right thing. So the question is, <clears throat> how do you negotiate with your parents to show them that you're becoming a responsible adult while you're still exploring and discovering what truly brings you joy? So here's my advice. Um, so follow your own path, even when it's murky. If you run into dead ends, try something different. It's okay to not know where you're going. Make the most of each avenue you try. You may try different courses in college or have different jobs that only show you what you're not good at. When I went to college, I liked math, but I wasn't good enough to be a math major. I found that out right away. Okay, I loved to dance in college, but I wasn't dedicated enough to make it my life. I broke through family attitudes about the evils of the business world while working at Business Week magazine. And at the same time, I learned that I was a lousy secretary. 
was a little humbling. You know, I was an English major and really smart. I should be able to do this job. Uh, uh, yeah, no, they, they required skills that just weren't easy for me. And I think that that's really important to know. I have a good friend who became a, a well, uh, who became an international economist, consulted to presidents, and he received really good advice when he was in, when he was in graduate school to make sure he had somebody else to organize his life, because he was really poor at it. <laughs> he was brilliant in many respects, but that was a wonderful piece of advice, and it really helped catapult his career. So the key, but the key is to keep following your, your next inspiration. Eventually your patchwork resume will land in the right place at the right time. All those threads will come together. Um, so I think if you, if you talk to a few people, I, you will find, and you talk to older people about how they got where they're going, you'll find that it's probably more common than not that people do this. They try something, it doesn't work, then they try something else again. And it really, we have this myth that everybody should sort of come out of high school knowing what they're going to do and being on a clear career path and that it's a straight path for successful people. Not so, right? Especially successful people often have had many, you know, failures or gone down paths that didn't work out for them. When I found myself in a, I, I, I spent my 20s <laughs> sort of trying different things. Um, and I finally found myself in an MSW, that's a master's in social work program at UCLA. I wanted to become a therapist. And what I found was that my patchwork resume, which were included experience working on research studies, as a secretary for not only Business Week magazine, but for a psychoanalyst. Uh, I was a community organizer and a board development officer for Planned Parenthood. And I worked as a medical assistant and, and waitressing all came together. Boy, that resume was really hard to write. Every experience, however, gave me skills and knowledge that all came together in that social work program. And because of that, and because by then I had some maturity, uh, that really helped me to have scholarships that supported me all the way through three years of school and advancements. I was put into, a, they created a doctoral program, a joint doctoral program for me. So when, the, when it lands, it'll be solid, right? And you'll see all these threads come together that you were discovering your passions as you were going along. It's okay, to, and it's okay to have other periods in your life when you don't know where you're heading. Um, many people in our, you know, nowadays go through career transitions, and and um, they'll they'll do something very successfully for a while, and then just find that it's not working, or they get laid off, and they want to try something different, um, and they don't, but they don't know exactly what it is or how to get there. So the, this period of uncertainty can come up again at another time in life, and it's okay. It's really just part of the process. Just keep moving toward what excites you, and you'll eventually arrive. So, Mercy, let me jump in here, too. Can I offer a little bit yes. uh, of my mm -hmm. two cents as well? So I was in the same position, too, personally. I went to three different schools to find out exactly where I wanted to, or where, what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go, both things. Um, I started out at Western up in Bellingham 
It was a great school. I got the kind of same uh, vision and also chatter from my parents. Like, okay, you've been here for now two years. What's going on? You know, we're kind of helping you a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just trying to figure things out, you know. But then I realized, yeah, the education portion of school wasn't my my suit, my strong point. I'm a very people person. I'm out and about. Um, I actually started DJing on the side, little projects like that. And I was like, maybe I should get into broadcasting. I took one class up there, and I crushed it. I loved it. And then I did a debate class and did very well. And figured that was the 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 route I wanted to go. You know, go mm-hmm. in. I couldn't continue at that one school, so then I transferred out to another. Uh, you know, uh, a two uh, two year school here in Bellevue. Went to and got my AA, and then transferred to WSU and got my degree at uh, the Edward R. Murrow School of Communications and in broadcasting and journalism. So that's pretty much what I finished out with because I knew at the end point that's what I wanted to do. It took a while, maybe seven years. I should be a doctor at that point, <laughs> you know, but I'm not. Uh-huh. But that's only because I took a little time, and I wasn't in school the whole time. I also had a full time job and did other things in between those three schools. But I, I also spoke my language and I wanted to let my parents know that I was strong enough to do it on my own, but not to let them worried. Mm-hmm. But I can understand where they're coming from too um, because of the generation they grew up with versus me. Um, right. And now it's a lot of online things and virtual and all these other jobs that you can do from staying at home. You don't have to really do much. So it's a whole different world. But as long as I think there's that communication line open between kids and parents that's i think uh, pretty much what matters too you know and yeah. space space right. is given <laughs> right right no i agree i think that that's and that's sort of that's you know to my point i said you know i was going to now talk about the four parents right have to like watch this <laughs> process right <laughs> and who put money down you know onto a program that didn't that didn't flesh out the way they thought it was going to or whatever now i was fortunate when i left home that I had five brothers and sisters at home to distract my parents from worrying about me too much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to say, I do think that that was a benefit, even though I was, I had a little bit more of a spotlight on me as the first and more expectations. They really just didn't have a lot of bandwidth, right. To yep. be too concerned about me. And, but however, you might not be so lucky, right. You might be an only child or one of two and you get a lot more dedicated attention. So, But as you complete, as you contemplate your degree in English, I love that, I majored in English. (laughs) And there's so many English majors, but we all know it's sort of the, uh, you know, it's that, um, what do you call it? It's like a meme for, you know, um, uh, a useless degree. Let's put it that way. I wouldn't, I I can argue otherwise, but that's the- I have a few friends with that too, so. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. it, it served me well. And I was, and one of my points, is in terms of getting support where you can find it if Mm -hmm. you need to outside of your family. And my father's best friend, my uncle gave me a really hard time about majoring in English and how impractical it was. And my father had been an English major so and became a doctor. So it wasn't totally off the mark. But his best friend, who was a scientist, said to me, that it he said it'll be a great preparation because no matter what you do you'll know how to read and to write and that will give you a really good basis and that really made a big difference to me that that man who I really respected who was my father's best friend supported me in doing this otherwise useless degree so your degree could be in theater or uh, classical Greek I just talked to to, uh, um, I'm approaching a 
50th reunion for college. And there was a gentleman in our, on our reunion committee who worked in theater lighting all through college and then went and became a programmer. And my generation, someone who became a programmer ended up with a pretty good career because it was really at the beginning, but there came a point where he just really didn't enjoy it anymore. And he went back to theater lighting and he's had decades now as a professional in theater lighting. So these things aren't always dead ends. <clears throat> now, but the key is to make a plan to begin to show your parents that you're preparing to support yourself, however you need to do it. Um, so use your opportunities at school for internships and study programs that will give you concrete experience and skills. Yes, theater lighting counts, right, to my example. And then find a way to begin to make money for yourself if you aren't doing it yet. Um, so make sure that you're, you're thinking about how, how your finances work and not just relying on your parent and communicate that to them. It's part of a plan. And ask your parents or siblings or grandparents or family members for help to draw up this plan, right? And I'm, you know, sometimes you can do this really easily and calmly with your parents. Sometimes you can't. So you find these other people who can help you too. And these triangles could be useful with your parents too, when they know that you're actually really working on it with somebody that they trust. And then you hold yourself accountable to your parents whether they're supporting you financially or not they might not be they might not able to be but let them know what you're doing what your plan is and the specifics of it by doing that communicating with those people with those parents it'll make it easier anytime you have to do that in the future at work or with other people but also you never know when they're going to actually be able to step in and help out with something here or there um and then again, use other family members or supportive adults to do that with. Um, so another, so another variation of this dilemma for people who are older and aren't students is, oh no, this is this would be even if you're if you're if you've started out or then you you've had a clear career path based on your passions. You know, so this variation has to do with maybe you aren't just wandering around, you know, um, studying modern dance, which is what I did. But this, perhaps your career path is not one that your family supports. Now, this can happen with college students or in a marriage when one spouse is pursuing a passion that conflicts with their partner's life goals. So uh, this can be a problem too. Maybe you know exactly what you want to do, but your parents don't approve of it. Um, so um, I ran into this when I was a teaching assistant in a school of education with, with first-year education majors. Um, some students aspired to be science and math high school teachers. So they were really strong science and math students and they wanted to be high school teachers. A lot of people who came into education loved their teachers and they loved their schools. And that was a setting that they loved and they wanted to stay in it. However, we had a lot of parents. I had a classes of 90 students and a lot, very few parents were supportive of their students, especially ones with science and math skills becoming teachers because of the relatively low salaries in education compared to other salaries in 
what we call STEM fields, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. Public, actually, public education teachers actually earn more than private school teachers at the high school level and at the elementary level. And salary levels at the university or college level did not begin to compare with what those professors or teachers in your universities can earn in private industry, you know, especially with science skills. So because of that, these students ran up against, you know, really a lot of um, pushback from their parents. Um, so I experienced both with my parents and with my first marriage with my husband. <clears throat> um, my mother wanted me to go to nursing school and like our caller and because it's what she knew, she didn't want me to get certified as a teacher because she didn't think teachers worked very hard. Her father was a college professor and she watched him sit around all summer <laughs> Um, well, that's the summer. I mean, <laughs> she had an attitude, I'll tell you. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> and then she told me my dream of becoming a doctor wasn't compatible with being a wife and a mother. And my father didn't say much. And I, I kind of, I know eventually where he stood out. But the problem was on my end is that I didn't talk to them about it. I didn't really discuss it with them. When my mother said, oh, I don't like that idea, the conversation just stopped. And I, I stopped. I didn't, I didn't do what I would advise someone else to do now, which would be to find other adults or mentors who support you and provide opportunities to pursue those dreams. So I did eventually find my own way without my parents' knowledge or approval, but I I got I would get stopped cold because they just said no. So I think what could make a difference if, if I'd been really specific with my parents about how I was going to pursue those goals. Um, I, my parents and I were very clear that financially after four, I had to support myself financially after four years while I was pursuing my goals. So this wasn't an issue. However, if I talked more with them, I think they would have found ways to help me you know, as they thought about it, you know, the next day, the day after. Um, they wanted me to be happy and they had confidence in my ability to achieve whatever I set out to do. I know this now, but at the time I didn't really know and I didn't give them the opportunity to show me that. And sometimes, even though you're the, still a kid, you can take the lead with your parents in setting up these conversations, not, you know, parents have other things on their mind and we're not all as wise as we'd like to be when you're eight, when you, when you're 18. So as for my husband, he wanted to pursue a career and this could apply for people who are in marriages. He wanted to pursue a career in a new field of robotics for which he didn't have any training. At the time, I was in graduate school with a baby. We had a condo that he wanted with a mortgage. And I was supporting us with student loans and a research position and paying for childcare. He was unemployed. And at that exciting moment, we're going to take a break. This is Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationship Show. I'm talking about life transitions, uh, managing managing pathways that are unclear, and uh, I'll be back after the break. 
It's time that you are heard, and I don't mean in just a conversation. I mean really heard. Imagine hosting your very own radio program on Alternative Talk 1150. Talk about being heard. Call 425-653-1150 right now to learn how affordable it can be to host your own radio show. Time slots are going fast, so take hold of this chance by dialing 425-653-1150. Alternative Talk, we have an opportunity waiting just for you. Hi, tune into my new show, The Remarkable Relationship Show, with me, Mercy Russell. I bring a fresh perspective on all things related to how humans develop their individual brilliance while navigating the excitement, stickiness, and resistance in their relationships. Wednesdays from 9 to 10 a.m., and you can visit my website at leadershipwithmercy.com. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with a sun protection factor, or SPF, of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. UVA rays age the skin, UVB rays burn, and both cause cancer. But the perfect sunscreen doesn't count if you use it wrong. Don't need sunscreen on a cloudy day? Wrong. 80% of UV rays still get through the haze. Only use sunscreen at the beach? Nope. Anytime you're outside, UV rays attack the skin, so you need protection. And you have to reapply sunscreen every two hours. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Exploring new territory every day. This is Alternative Talk 1150. Hello, this is Mercy Russell with the Remarkable Relationship Show. And today I'm um, answering some questions from callers. And I'm also, we have our phone lines open. So if anyone has any comments about what we're talking about or has any questions that they'd like to ask, please call. The number is eight, the eight number is 888-298-5569. Or, um, and we're just talking. Oh, I was just going to say, or locally, if if because it has a not reached out sometimes across the border to our you know, neighbors to the north and neighbors to the south. So uh, 425-373-5527. That's 425 425- Three seven three five five two seven, and we welcome all calls. Great, I love that being near the border. Yep. Um, so what we were just talking about was people making life transitions, you know, not knowing where they're going, and then how how you do or don't support each other in as parents and children or in marriages. And I was telling the story about my husband, who my first husband, who wanted to go into a career in robotics. He didn't have a background for it, and I was in graduate school. We had a baby. And uh, he was unemployed. (laughs) uh, But and I couldn't support his dream because I couldn't I couldn't continue to support the household with borrowed money as a student. I actually dropped out of the doctoral program to be able to support myself and my son, which I could do with my master's degree. But we never sat down. I never sat down with him and tried to make a realistic plan for how we could both pursue our dreams. I actually, um, we had, we had couple, a couples therapist. They never talked to us about the financial realities of our dilemma. Um, so, and I never 
I, I didn't even take that much into consideration myself. I wasn't that realistic about the fact that, you know, the reason that I feel like he doesn't love me anymore and that I don't want to be in this marriage has to do with that. I feel like I'm in a corner and I don't know what I do because he won't, because either he, he refuses to get a job. So, you know, this, and I, it's, it's a call out to therapists too, that these, these dynamics really matter with couples. And if they don't talk about it, it can be something that just, you know, ruins the marriage without people really being aware of it. And on the other hand, he didn't hold himself accountable to me and our family for taking financial responsibility for his goals or for the or, or the family. So, you know, uh, in many respects, I was limping along, kind of doing the best I could for what I could see for myself, but we weren't really communicating or working well, or we weren't talking about money. And we came from families that didn't talk about money. So that's, you know, I think a big piece of how you get through these murky times. So just to review, my advice, if your path ahead is murky or known or unknown, but you're in a transition period, keep taking the next right action. Each step on a, either a well-worn path or if you're bushwhacking and finding a path no one else you know has traveled, each step will give you feedback about whether to continue or whether to change course. It's okay to change directions and it's best to do it sooner rather than later, as soon as you know that this isn't the right direction for you. I changed directions many times but it all came together and it all added up. And build a support network around your goals. I wasn't very good at this when I was young. <clears throat> and one thing we know about social networks is that the second or third rung of your social networks or acquaintances can be just, if not more helpful than your circle of close friends. I'm not exactly sure why that works, but they've proved they've seen it over and over again and all the mapping they've done that these people really matter. <clears throat> the people that you make acquaintances and exchange business cards with or whatever. Don't be shy about asking for help. I've just was, been reading, I was just listening to a book called Never Eat Alone. And, and he really emphasizes how reserved people are about asking for help. But for the most part, people are very generous about wanting to help other people. Find a trusted advisor, parent, a friend to hold yourself accountable to. This is really important. So whether they're giving you direct support or not, regular specific communication about your plans and how you're meeting your responsibilities will help you reach your goals and strengths. And so they'll also strength, strengthen the social and emotional support you need when you run into obstacles. Or you change direction again. <laughs> If you make mistakes, just take responsibility for them and move on. Usually, it's not that big of a deal. When you make a mistake, you'll look back years later and go, oh yeah, that, that wasn't such a big deal. So that's, my, um, that's what I have to say today about life transitions. So my the second question I have today is has to do with dating. Um, and I thought this might, <laughs> I know Benny likes this topic. But. I love about this. This is great. I know we talk about it quite often on a few of other shows, so I'm, I'm well aware of right, right. What, what, what we're going to chat about. Okay, so here's the question. 
Uh, I'm a divorced woman and I've been dating for four years using online apps to find a partner. I've had a lot of dates, but I haven't met anyone I really like. I want another committed partnership and I don't know what I'm doing wrong. What do I do now? Lonely and loveless. <laughs> Dear lonely. <laughs> you may be lonely, but you are not alone. There's a multi-billion dollar industry of advisors eager to help you. So if you haven't done so already, approach this dilemma as a research project. There are great academic studies on finding a partner. And my two favorites so far are these. Why Men Marry Some Women and Not Others by John T. Malloy. The finding of his research are actually, I think, applicable to anyone seeking a committed partnership, regardless of gender or sexual orientation, although it's very male, female, wife, husband oriented. But, the, it, you know, this was these the research was started with a graduate students project and ended up in a whole stream of research in which he they learned a lot about how people actually choose mates. And it's focused on how men choose women. But, you know, I think there's plenty of advice in there for everybody. And my other another one favorite one of mine is called 30 Lessons for Loving by Carl Pillimer, who's done a number. He's worked quite a bit with seniors in gerontology, advice from the wisest Americans on love relationships and marriage. And they interviewed uh, senior citizens who've been married for decades. And there's quite a bit of wisdom in there and a lot of stories about how people got together and what it was that drew them together. And I think that the big lesson that I heard from both of them is how important the relationships networks are around that person when they're dating, all right? So for example, women are more apt to meet men when they go out with other women, which is kind of the opposite of what you'd think. <clears throat> so you think I should be out by myself or, you know, but in fact, they're more apt to get into conversations with men when they're with their friends. So many popular dating experts give free webinar webinars and symposia with a lot of other dating experts while marketing their services. So you can take advantage of these without all you have to really give is your email address and then deal with the marketing. But you can expose yourself to a wide variety of approaches to dating from both men and women within this, um, I, I guess from my age, I'd say it's a kind of a newfangled world. Um, I didn't grow up reading much about dating other than maybe a column in Cosmopolitan magazine or something. You know? <laughs> but <laughs> there just wasn't, but we didn't have this online dating. Yeah, no, there wasn't much out there at the time. Not at all. No, you had your you know, friends and your neighbors. That's about that's it. it. Yeah, that was or, your little or, close bubbles. Yep. Or a bar. Right? Yep. Mm -hmm. People hanging out in bars. Yeah. So, um, and even still, I think both my sons have. My son met his wife, and my other son, his girlfriend, met them at a party. You mm -hmm. know, or at a work at a, in a work setting. So um, this is still common, but it's much more likely for younger people. So this divorced woman, I assume, is older and, you know, doesn't have the same avenues that sometimes younger people do. It can, just, it's, 
Mm-hmm. It can be, but I think the the benefit about having online apps these days is for those to get out further than just their local, you know, right. center location, and to really involve themselves in a whole different uh, uh, environment, which is really uh, a part of the norm. Right, that's really true. I actually, someone was having this conversation with a man who said. Well, you know, you just run into someone in a bar and you have some chemistry and then you think that's a relationship. Whereas online, he said, he said, how much do you really know about that person All anyway? Right. I'll, and, that, that was a guy talking. That's not a girl talking. So yeah. <laughs> that's an example right there. Why? <laughs> Such an easy answer. Yeah, but I don't think he'd done any online dating. I think it was right. his fantasy. About oh, it. right, right, right. There you go. Okay, sure. Right, right. So... Um, so I, the other thing I want to say is you can be lonely, Mm -hmm. you can be alone and not lonely and loneliness is a really poor setup for finding a good partner. You need to look at, look at your social network of friends and family and invest in spending with time with people who like you, who love you, who adore you, Mm -hmm. you know, so, and take your laser focus off your ideal partner and open your peripheral vision and direct your de- your desire to the people who are already in your life. Right. So you can have that desire for connection and love with the people who are present. And I say this knowing it's not that easy mm-hmm. when you really have that. Some people really get this focus on finding a partner. And, um, but, and it's hard to step off that track, you know, and get off it. I know that I'm, there's something to that, having mm-hmm. the intention or the interest and then letting it go. Right. I think it's right. good to have boundaries and to be picky, so to speak. I think that's very acceptable. However, if you just have a narrow vision, it's not going to help you in in, in the, the long right. run, I think. You should be open. And at that age, you're like, why not? Like, just experience a little bit more. Maybe it'll open up other avenues in a different direction you never thought you'd have fun in. You know? Right. I mean, those right. are those uh, really cool, I think, opportunities for the modern day apps or uh, uh, dating events, like, you know, going out to places where they have like speed dating. I know that was a really popular one too. And, you know, I met my girlfriend on Bumble and, um, that was a really good opportunity for me. Cause you know, you put your profile up there and it's directed one-sided. That's just the way they do their things versus like, you know, Tinder, which is just a left and a right or a match, right. which, you know, you get a whole bunch thrown at you and you kind of have to pick and choose. So, uh, or plenty of fish. I mean, there's so many of them out there. Um, oh, too many. <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing, too. Then there can be too many. <laughs> and then you get a little overwhelmed. But at least the, the options are available for, for, for people in that world. There are, there are a lot of options. Mm-hmm. And you do. Um, and so this is so my, so then my next question was, how are you approaching your dates, right? One of my favorite perspectives is that the purpose of dating is not to fall in love but to find out if you're compatible with your date. And that is interesting because, you know, I think the urge, and I'm talking mostly from a woman's point of view, is to find love and romance. And I I think a lot of men are into that too. But not on the first date. Yeah, well, because then that's then, a little bit of a like, all right, all right, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, maybe they don't want love and romance on the first date, right. but they want something that goes along with that. Well, the kids call it these days like, a stage five clinger if that happens on the first date. We don't want that. Like, right, we, we don't right. want that. We just want to feel feel it out on the first couple. Feel it out. Yeah, but men may want 
you know, a sexual connection. True, right but that should be conversations fairly. It should upfront. be. Yep, should be. But <laughs> yeah, right. well, yeah, I'm just. But saying. also, I, mean, I think that's kind of the male version of that. Yes. You know, it, you know, the women for women are thinking romance, and the men are thinking, you know. Uh, is there good chemistry here? Yeah, right, Are we going right, to go right. for that? Yeah, exactly. Right. If you guys so, want to know how <laughs> how <laughs> you were your expression was on that, just go back and look at the video. We can see exactly what you were getting at. So, yeah, <laughs> your little mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> my little head gesture. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but going back a couple of shows you did with uh, comedian Chase O'Donnell, and and uh-huh. that was a really good show. We actually aired it, re-aired it uh, last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they got kind of a feel for that again, and we should definitely do a follow up. But that was a really good opportunity for you to, like, you know, uh, uh, explain to how, how you're going through things um, in right. your world and and, and moving right, forward. Right, right, right. So, yeah, we were comparing because she's thirty right. something. She's on I'm, the other end of the spectrum. Kind I just of turned seventy, right. so like, but we had quite a bit in common, and yeah. also some differences. Totally. And of course, our desires and needs mm-hmm. are different, yeah. right? I, uh, in terms of you know. What I, I call what I'm in is post-reproductive dating, right? So, we but the, interestingly enough, the physiology that goes into people mating with the drive to reproduce, to have kids, which is part of how a, a lot of the, the neurochemistry and neurophysiology of romance is, it's all oriented toward having kids that survive. That's still active even after you've had your kids and you're not and you can't have any more children. Right. That's what's interesting. Mm-hmm. Those things still are active in your system. So anyway, that's another thesis of mine. <laughs> um, so my other question is, how do you approach your dates? One of mm-hmm. my favorite. Oh, so I just said not to fall in love. But then so if you take I, I say this takes the pressure off the date with the Tinder match, right? The Tinder match has got you know, has a reputation for, you know, kind of being fast and furious. But what's your goal for the date? So, okay, you're scanning for practical compatibilities of interests, family, children, finances, life goals, and dreams. But how about the goal of just making each date fun for you and your date? Can your date walk away feeling good about themselves, even if you refuse a second date? Now that I became a goal for me. Well, I'm going to go and we're going to have a good time, right? And, you know, we're just going to enjoy whatever we're doing now. And we're going to, and that's my goal for this date. Um, you know, that person and I would then get other information that led to do we want to have another date or not. But I think that was a really good way of approaching it, right? So I didn't come with a list of questions. I wasn't being interviewed. I didn't interview. (laughs) I didn't like it if I was being interviewed. Um, But at any rate, I think that that's an important thing to think about when you're doing this kind of dating. Um, And so what about rejection? What happens? You meet someone and you're really excited to see them again. And then nothing. They disappear. They say, oh, would you like to get together again? Yes, I'd be happy to. I'll give you a call and never call, right? So there's no indication in that connection that they wouldn't want to see you again. And I think it's a little more common with online dating than with people with whom, 
you know, with people that you don't have social ties with. If you have social ties, someone might feel a little more obligated to kind of stay involved because you're going to have to answer to your friend, right, or their friend. But sometimes it happens with acquaintances who you may see again or coworkers. So what do you do? Do you reach out when he says, I'll give you a call and he doesn't give you a call? Or when she says, oh, sure, I'd love to have a second date. And then you call and she never answers your call and she never picks it up. Do you reach out? Now, this is for the woman. I say once. Because you never know. Something happened, right? And that there was, they got, they lost your phone number or they, you know, there was some reason, practical reason that they didn't call out. Because they're free. If you call somebody or text them, they're free to not answer, right? If you leave a message, they're free to not respond. So you don't really have to be intruding. They don't have to pick up your call. Um, so yes, why not reach out once? <clears throat> um, but I wouldn't do it more than once, right? Unless you really knew that there was something going on and that they still wanted to see you. Um, but then how do you handle this emotionally, right? It can be kind of, um, you know, for some people can really get their hopes up. Not, you know, before they meet people, I've had that happen. With, you know, I think with, you know, men that I've dated more, you know, had a certain hope that I didn't, I wasn't able to, you know, kind of make it a reality for them. Um, but how do you handle it emotionally? You don't take it personally if somebody doesn't disappears. Um, one date isn't enough for someone to know enough about you to reject you as a person. Yeah, if, if, you, if you get ghosted, you get ghosted. Move on. You get ghosted. Yeah, and it's, move on to the next maybe one. Maybe it had to do with the color of your hair. There you go. You can't change. Or but hair of any. Right. So. <laughs> or any hair. I'm just saying for myself, you know. Yeah, right. If you only had, if you were only wearing caps in your profile, right. you know. Yeah. Well, or the yeah. big one, the big one still is, is they have photos posted from like 10 years ago. Oh, so me, I was definitely in a little more shape than I am now. I get it. But then, you know, I had a couple of you know, athletic photos, but now pff, not even close. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Right. Be, no, be real. You know, be real. Men and women do the same thing. Right. I've heard it from both sides. Sure. You know, and um, so it is important to have at least one current picture there so people can see, even if you like the old ones. My, go my girlfriend's not going to like it, but I actually posted my Halloween picture on the profile for that year, which was uh -huh. a couple years ago. And I had made, you know, the claw game from the like grocery stores. Yeah, I yeah. was that. So I made that and I was in it. And she's like, there's no way that could be him. And sure enough, she's like, yeah, that's him. <laughs> that's totally him. Yep, yep. That. I got I got a lot of attention. So it worked. That's me. There you I'm go. Having, I'm having, I'm creative and I have fun with it. Right. Exactly. And you want somebody who's going to like that. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm, totally. Um, yeah. My, I think a lot of my pictures are kind of formal and, you know, that's how I felt comfortable presenting myself. Sure. And I, you know, people, the guys who liked it, I mean, they're going to have to like that part of me that mm -hmm. has a certain, you know, certain uh, self-consciousness about my appearance or something. Right. So you're not going to take it personally. And then just self-esteem is a great buffer here. If you have self-confidence and self-esteem, you can think, oh, well, they lost out. <laughs> and this is with somebody that you really thought you had a connection with. Right. So a good rule of thumb is that this, this disappearance just saved you from spending time with someone with whom you aren't compatible. 
um, if this affects you emotionally and you really kind of get upset or you feel anxious about it, spend time with friends or family to soothe their hurt feelings. Really, this helps. Call a friend and talk to them. Get together. Just be face-to-face -face with someone else and it'll start to soothe some of those feelings of being cut off socially from someone you put some emotion towards. I say dating with online apps is like making sales sales with cold calls right people like to argue with me about that but go oh, there's a lot of information you can see from those and i'm like yeah it's interesting but how someone presents themselves often doesn't match up with who they are in person you know their energy or their you know um so um it's like so just take it like that you know it's a when you're meeting somebody it's a discovery try to suspend your anticipation. Um, and again, if they ghost you, it's, you know, just, it's an, you can consider it an efficiency. They saved their time, they saved your time, right? So, and then be, look at, be careful about your own behavior with that too, because I think women do this quite a bit too. <clears throat> they don't pick up phone calls, they don't answer, they don't, you know, oh yeah, I'd love to go out again and then leave you know, don't pick up. So you, you want to, you know, just think about, you know, just how you're enjoying the ride and being, you know, sort of respectful of other people at the same time. So Benny, you dated online. Yeah, we have a couple of minutes left in the show. Yeah, uh, I did. You for, found someone. I did. You know, for for a while though, I mean, I didn't date for a while, and, and raising two boys uh, with my boy's mom took right. up obviously a lot of time. And then you know we didn't work out. And then I took some time. I just didn't do much of that. I wanted to focus on them and and get them going. And then there was that opportunity. It was that one summer where I'm like, you know what? After this summer, it's done. I'm going back into the game, so to speak. And I went on a couple places, and that's where I met my girlfriend now. So it didn't take long. But I was very, you know, proactive about it. I got outside of my box, though, as far as my area, because a lot of my uh -huh. friends are still like, you know, hanging around like, oh, you should meet so and so. I'm like, but they already dated this person, this person and this person. I'm like, I'm good. I'm done with that. <laughs> like, I need it. I need uh -huh. to go somewhere else outside. And that's where I met so my current. She was outside of your geographic area yes. or outside of your social circle? Uh, both. both. I never knew both. her. Yep. Isn't that fun? You great know, that's what we get to do nowadays that you know our grandparents couldn't do right that's my point so i think we're at the end of our time mm -hmm. is that correct yes ma'am one minute to go yes we have one minute to go this is mercy russell with a remarkable relationship show and i um really would love to have you call in um so we had the phone lines open today and i'm going to make an effort to keep them open every week so that you can call in and with any of your questions, don't be shy about asking your questions or shy about interrupting whatever we're talking about or asking questions, you know, if something's, you know, doesn't, you know, kind of get you excited or stimulated or you, you know, you have a different point of view, I'd love to hear it. Um, and then you can also send me a question by email at mercy at leadership.com, at leadershipwithmercy.com. Um, and I'd be happy to answer questions as I did today. Uh, they'll be available during the live show as well as on the KKNW podcast and the KKNW YouTube channel. Uh, and in addition, I post transcripts of the shows of my shows on the on the website leadershipwithmercy.com.